Due to the graphic nature of this urban legend, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes descriptions of abuse, torture, body horror, and brief references to sexual violence. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. If you had an email account in the year 2000, you'd probably received a version of this cryptic message. If a guy by the name of Slave Master contacts you, do not answer. He has killed 56 women that he has talked to on the internet. Please send out to all the women on your buddy list. Also, ask them to pass this on. He has been on Yahoo, AOL, Excite so far. This is no joke. And please send this to men too, just in case. Send to everyone you know. The early internet was far more slippery than it is now. It's still easy to hide behind a burner account and disappear. But in the late 1990s, the ways in which people could create false identities online weren't common knowledge. Some would use this as an opportunity to pass jokes or rumors far and wide, but others used their new anonymity to do harm. And none were as inhumanly cruel as the Slave Master. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, we take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth and share their stories. This episode is part of our Urban Legends Halloween special. Every day for the month of October, we're presenting our spooky spin on an urban legend, then diving into the history of the horror. Like it or not, each terrifying tale contains a grain of truth. You can find episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. Today, we examine a legend with the most direct, most horrifying origin of any we'll cover this month. In the early 2000s, a series of chain emails began circulating, warning women that a man using the handle Slave Master was luring women to their deaths after arranging to meet up with them for bondage play via the web. It seemed ridiculous, but it was true. Chain emails were one of the most ubiquitous forms of early electronic communication. Some were offers of money. Some were warnings that only forwarding this email could save your family from homicidal mental patients, ghosts, or curses. Some would supposedly be from Mother Teresa, demanding you pass a painting of Jesus around the web. If you did not, your family would die. But hidden among the ridiculous warnings, were some grains of sincerity. While the victim count may not have been accurate, 
There was a man prowling the internet, looking for young women to brutalize, and the web was trying to protect them from him. He went by many names, but the most memorable was Slave Master. The Slave Master is coming for you. In terms of email subject lines, it was bold enough to get anyone's attention. Gabe rolled his eyes the first time he saw it in his inbox. He deleted the email and forgot all about it, but it kept showing up. His mother sent it, his grandmother sent it, his great uncle sent it. Somehow, this email kept finding its way back into Gabe's inbox, waiting to be read. Then, Betty went missing, and Gabe opened the email. Gabe's little sister always had a taste for danger. The night before she vanished, Betty had excitedly told him that she was finally going to meet the love of her life in person. They'd met online and had been emailing back and forth for months. Gabe had made her promise that she would be careful. She told him he didn't need to be afraid of the modern age. And she never came home. The police tried to find her, but missing persons cases were difficult at the best of times. They had almost no evidence to go on. Betty's history was checkered, to put it mildly. Any number of bad people in her life could have taken her or lured her out of town. Narrowing it down seemed almost impossible since her body had not been found yet. The investigators were frozen by infinite possibilities. Gabe wasn't about to wait around for his little sister to turn up as the teaser in a Law & Order episode. If the police couldn't help, he would find her on his own. Gabe scrubbed through Betty's life, meeting every person she talked to at her job and in her neighborhood. But he kept thinking about those emails, the ominous warnings that he got from everyone. Everyone except Betty. Gabe finally clicked on the latest email. There was a man, the email read, who liked to prey on young women through BDSM internet message boards using the handle Slave Master. He'd earn their trust and then set up a meeting. The women were never seen again. It was the end of the email that disturbed him the most. The theories the writer had about what happened to the women. Maybe they'd been dumped into a barrel of acid their bones disintegrating into a stinking human soup. Maybe the slave master lived on a secluded farm where he fed his victims decaying bodies to pigs. Maybe he made furniture out of their body parts and sold it online. It was all too easy to picture his sister's golden hair laying in the muck on some piece of farmland, an arm half-chewed, a leg bone next to a pile of manure, the silver cross she always wore around her neck, sticking out of the dirt. Gabe couldn't explain why this particular email got under his skin, but some part of him knew that this was her fate. Maybe it was intuition. Maybe it was something greater, some force urging him towards justice. 
He knew he should have stopped at handing the email over to the investigators. He should have sought closure instead of barreling into a lion's den. But all he could think of was his little sister, lost and alone in the dark, thinking no one cared about her. Maybe she was being held somewhere. Maybe she could still be rescued. Even if his nightmare had come true, he needed to find her body. He needed to lay her to rest. So, Gabe had started scouring online dating forums, looking for the so-called slave master. He found several profiles with similar usernames, but none looked like his sister's type. Square glasses, too much acne, loose-fitting clothes. They lacked the charisma she was drawn to. He'd hit every dead end, until a new lead came to him. A new email sat in his inbox. The subject line was one word, Betty. He never thought he'd be frightened of his own sister's name. He'd only mentioned her in the vaguest of terms while reaching out to people. If someone remembered it, it was because they wanted to. He had a strange instinct to delete the email and walk away, as if it could watch him from the screen of his Dell. But he took a deep breath and continued onward. He wasn't sure why he clicked the linked attachment first. Much like the email itself, something seemed to pull him towards the little 8-bit paperclip. It was a picture, grainy and close. A woman with dirty, formerly golden hair. One of her eyes was swollen shut, splotches of black, blue, and purple swirling together. Her cheekbone had been shattered, leaving one side of her face several sizes larger than the other. Her lips were cracked and bleeding. There was a deep cut running down the length of her nose. Bruises covered her neck. And around her neck, a tiny silver cross. The cross their father had gotten Betty when she turned 13. Gabe leaned to the side of his desk and threw up in the trash can. He didn't want to read the email. He'd much rather delete the picture and pretend none of this had happened. Any minute now, she'd be knocking at his door, saying she'd just been out of town for a few months. That the guy had been good in bed, but just not good for her. But he recognized her features. The birthmark on her cheek. The teeth that were not crooked enough to need braces, but crowded enough to make her look quirky. It was her. Gabe needed to know what happened to her. So, he took several deep breaths and wiped the tears from his eyes. Then, he read the email. The sender, Anthony, had just moved into a new house. He found the pictures in a bathroom drawer. He had shown them to the police, but they ignored him. She looked a bit like the picture on Gabe's flyer, so he wanted to reach out. Gabe emailed Anthony back, asking if he could visit. If whoever did this left the picture behind, they could have left another clue. Maybe he would feel Betty's presence the minute he walked in. Anthony replied almost immediately, setting up a day and time. 
I'm so sorry for your loss, he'd written at the end of the email. I really hope it isn't her. The entire house smelled like new paint. Anthony said he'd had the property for a little over a month, but there was no furniture anywhere. It hadn't felt right to fully move in until he'd figured out what happened here. Gabe tried to picture what Betty would have seen as he entered the barren living room. The carpet was old and faded. All of the floors creaked. His sister had always been afraid of big houses. Why would she have entered in the first place? Gabe asked if he could use the bathroom. Anthony pointed him down the hall, looking concerned. First door on the left, no further. He splashed some water on his face. Just the possibility of being in the space where Betty had died was too much. He could feel the sweat dripping down his back. His throat was parched. Gabe wiped his face with a hand towel. It had been cleaned recently. It smelled like pomegranate and honey, his sister's favorite perfume. He sank to his knees. He didn't want to cry here, but there were reminders of her everywhere. Somehow, he knew this was where her life had ended. His fingers clutched the plush bath mat, but something smooth stood out amongst the fluffy strands. He looked down and drew a stray lock of golden hair from the pink mop. It was the same hue as his sister's. Gabe inspected the floor, looking for any other clue. On the very bottom of the bathroom cabinet, he caught a small circle of dark red. He opened the cabinet doors and found a ring of red and brown, about bucket-sized. A few drops had made it to the very edge of the cabinet, like tiny blooms of brown watercolor. He had never seen dried blood on a surface before. Gabe stood up slowly, considering the drawers. Betty had been here. She had been in pain here. There was so much blood. He pulled open a drawer as quietly as humanly possible. Inside were four severed fingers. He threw himself backward, barely holding in his vomit. He took a deep breath. He had to know. The digits were small, dainty, even delicate. One was still wearing a clada ring. Gabe took a deep breath and slid the small silver circle off the swollen finger. Betty's initials were inside it. BR. She never took it off. Ever. The hair rose on the back of his neck. He was starting to understand how Betty felt when she stepped into the house. Things weren't entirely wrong, so it had been easy to come inside. Gabe put his ear to the door. Then he checked the light beneath it. There was no sign of movement. He turned the knob slowly, silently, then opened the door one inch, then another. He couldn't see anyone standing in front of him. It was an old house. Old houses always felt like they held ghosts. He just hadn't realized the spirits 
were so recent. It was a straight shot down the hallway from an exit. He could make a run for it. He pulled the door the rest of the way open and took off running. Something hit him in the head from behind, hard and heavy. He fell to the ground. Somewhere above him, Anthony sighed. He hadn't wanted to do this, but curiosity killed the cat. Coming up, Gabe gets his answers. Now, back to the story. Gabe didn't know where he was when he woke up. His eyes refused to focus, and his head pounded. Memories flowed back slowly. His sister Betty's disappearance after meeting with some dream guy from the internet. A series of chain emails describing a sadist who was luring women to him via web forums under the name Slave Master. Anthony had sent him a picture, a horrifyingly mangled version of Betty's beautiful face. Anthony told him that the picture had been found in a bathroom in his new house, but the police hadn't listened to him when he reported it. Gabe had gone over to investigate. Now he was shirtless, tied to a chair in the dark, in the grasp of his sister's killer. His surroundings looked nothing like the house he'd been lured to. Everything was rotten wood. Mold clung to the walls in slick, dark patches. The room was cavernous, but strangely silent. Empty, all but for a soft rustling, a clinking of tools. Someone was moving around behind him, preparing for something. Gabe could feel a sticky tightness on the skin at the back of his neck. Blood. He'd seen the pictures of Betty, found her severed fingers. Anthony liked to torture his victims, and Gabe knew he'd be the next one. He sniffled, trying hard to hold in his tears. He wasn't ready to die. How could he have been so stupid? Anthony laughed from somewhere behind Gabe. He said that Betty had cried the whole time. It had gotten monotonous. But he found a way to inject a little variety into the proceedings. Searing hot pain tore through Gabe's skin. The bones in his back vibrated horribly. Just when he was sure they were about to shatter, the pain suddenly stopped. He felt drool sliding down his chin. He tried to inhale, but Anthony hit him with the cattle prod again, just beside his kidneys. His torso shook. He swore he could feel the aftershock, traveling from organ to organ, spasming his stomach, constricting his lungs, pushing bile up his throat. He screamed, he yelled, he begged for mercy. Eventually, it stopped again. Anthony said, he wasn't a monster. He only gave him what he could handle. He didn't want to tire him out too much. They had a long way to go. Anthony told him that usually his routine was a little bit more personal. 
But he wasn't interested in experiencing that with Gabe. He smirked. Gabe's sister had kept him occupied for quite a while. Gabe told himself to stay calm. If he was going to get out of this, he needed to be smart about things. Getting angry wouldn't help him. Anthony told him they would be skipping some of the early activities in order to jump into the main event. Gabe had made himself too easy to catch, so Anthony was going to give him a second chance to hide. He loved the thrill of the chase, even more than the actual act at times. There would be no getting to safety, and any attempt at disobedience would result in another blow from the cattle prod. Anthony asked Gabe if he agreed with his terms. Gabe's eyes shot to the cattle prod. He didn't like the idea of being hunted, but at least it gave him a chance. He nodded his head. Anthony undid the knots around the chair, but kept Gabe's hands tied together. Gabe tried to argue that they at least could be tied in front of him, but Anthony quickly showed him the punishment for misbehavior. Terrified, he gave in, thanking Anthony profusely for the five-minute head start he'd been so merciful to give him. Gabe took off running through the cavernous wooden space, still disoriented. The mold of the wood filled his nostrils. The whole place felt like it was about to come down at any moment. He found a door and pulled wildly at the handle. The smell of grass overwhelmed him as he burst from the massive, rotted barn. He looked around for any kind of shelter, but there was none. Just an empty field leading to dark woods. He picked a direction and sprinted towards the tree line. His arms were stretched painfully behind his back, but he didn't stop to try and readjust. He could already hear Anthony's footfalls behind him. Gabe spared one glance behind and saw the other man smiling at him, excitement practically steaming from every pore. Gabe's life was just a game to him. Gabe tried not to think about Betty taking this same path. The trees were hard to navigate, but Gabe slipped around them as best as he could. He needed something better than a tree to hide behind. He sighted a shed in the distance and shot towards it, pushing everything he had into getting there. Gabe used his back to open the metal door. He crashed into the darkness, nearly knocking over a massive metal cylinder. His chest heaved as his eyes adjusted in the dim light. The whole room was filled with industrial-sized oil drums. There was a rake off to the side. He knocked it down and dropped to the floor, using the tines to cut through the rope around his hands. There were a few more gardening tools in the room, but even gripping the barrel had made his whole body rattle with pain. He didn't even know if he could lift a weapon, and he didn't know where the property ended if there was a road, or if he was in some kind of eternal wilderness. He needed a place to hide, maybe overnight. That left the barrels. He pulled the lid off one of them. It was full of a thick liquid he couldn't identify. Gabe's first assumption was some kind of rainwater, now contaminated by its long storage. But there was something solid 
just below the surface. It was too dark to get a good look, so Gabe stuck his hand in it. It made him feel itchy for an instant. Then the itchiness grew into a tearing heat. His skin was burning, no, dissolving. He jerked his hand away, but the damage was already done. Deep burns climbed up his skin. Bone shone through where the rope bruises and tears on his wrists were deepest. Searing white light flashed through his mind, blinding his senses to everything but the pain. He fought to stay conscious. Somewhere in the distance, Anthony was calling his name, taunting him. Gabe looked at the barrel. If he drained it, maybe he could hide inside. Without any other plans coming to mind, he shoved his weight against the barrel and it fell to the ground. Human bones and small bits of flesh tumbled out, not entirely dissolved by the solution. Gabe's vomit mixed with acid on the floor. The door to the shed screeched open. Anthony loomed to the doorway, framed by a pale moon. He was blocking the only way in and out of the shed. Gabe tried to make a run for it, but the floor was too slippery. He fell into the mixture of sulfuric acid and vomit. The acid tore away at his flesh. He couldn't keep his screams in. Anthony crouched down, meeting Gabe's eyeline as he convulsed. He told Gabe that this was only the beginning. The warnings in the Slave Master Chain email can read as cartoonish or overly paranoid, but the Slave Master was a real person. On June 2nd, 2000, 56-year-old John Edward Robinson Sr. was charged with two counts of sexual assault against women he had contacted through the internet using various usernames, including Slave Master. The women had arranged to participate in sadomasochistic encounters with him, but he escalated the scene beyond the agreed-upon terms, brutalizing them in a way that went beyond what they intended. Law enforcement discovered two 85-gallon industrial barrels on Robinson's Kansas property. Each barrel held the decaying body of a woman, 21-year-old Isabella LaVisca and 27-year-old Suzette Troughton. Kansas authorities notified the Missouri police when they discovered Robinson owned property in the neighboring state. The remains of 49-year-old Beverly Bonner, 45-year-old Sheila Faith, and her 15-year-old daughter, Debbie Faith, were discovered in a storage facility Robinson was renting in Raymore, Missouri. Both Kansas and Missouri police believe that Robinson has the remains of more victims stashed throughout the Midwest. As of 2019, he's on death row in Kansas after being convicted on eight murder charges between Kansas and Missouri. By the time he started using BDSM forums to find victims in 1994, Robinson was already a serial abuser and murderer. He isolated, victimized, and then killed several women 
by misrepresenting job opportunities. But when that level of fraud became too much effort, he wrote up what appeared to initially be consensual, sexually submissive slave contracts for his victims. These contracts were how he gained the trust of both Isabella LaVisca and Suzette Troughton before murdering them in 1999 and 2000, respectively. The chain email warning people to beware the slave master wouldn't appear until 2000, the same year as Robinson's arrest. While it was certainly inspired by noble intentions, the chain email outlived its inspiring incident by almost a decade. As the myth outgrew its real-world origin, the username began to morph and change. Sometimes Slave Master, but sometimes Sweet Cali Guy Forever, Dreamweaver Gray, Monkey Man 935, Silly Black Goose, Spiky Mikey 913, or Dark Side is Here 1. The names get stranger and sillier as the email circulates. This reflects an internet troll tactic as old as the web itself, copypasta. Copypastas are bits of text or images that are copy-pasted from another source to form a non-sequitur response. Examples include replying to standard forum posts with the text of medical ads, incoherent comments from other posts, or poorly written amateur horror stories. Copypastas can be visual or textual, but internet trolls frequently use the tactic to mock or undermine the emotional distress of the original poster. Some are fake, but some are not. And heartfelt statements by victims of Gamergate or other 4chan troll targets are often transformed into text memes. It should be no surprise that a chain letter meant to scare is tied to a community with a systemized lack of empathy. But even the trolls may not know the awful truth. That the sweet Cali guy forever, they were ironically warning people about, was actually a serial killer who was unironically going by the handle Slave Master. In a way, the evolving chain email was like ripples on the surface of a pond. The Slave Master's horrific crimes echoing through the internet long after the original perpetrator was behind bars. The ghost of a killer stalking his old hunting grounds. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back tomorrow with a new urban legend and on Thursday with a new haunted place. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite ParCast originals, like Haunted Places, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Until tomorrow, don't believe some of the things you hear. Believe all of them. 
Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Carrie Murphy. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Richet. I'm Greg Paulson. <laughs>